If you are a member of my family, then please proceed with caution in listening to this podcast. You're absolutely welcome to. I don't share anything online that I'm not prepared to talk about. But you also need to choose whether you want to hear. This podcast goes into some of the darker times in my life and some of my experiences of family life when I was growing up. Be warned and be welcome. All the presents had been put round the tree and uh, my family were gathered in the front room and I had the job of giving out all the presents. And I was, I was excited and I was really happy. I was about 10 and I was living in Coventry. I'm jollying up the day because it wasn't nice in that house at the time. And it was Christmas Day, it was supposed to be happy. The family's all there. So I'm, I'm trying to make everything smooth and nice. I get to the end of the present and everyone's starting to open their presents, I'm not. I see this present down behind the, the Christmas tree, stuck down, down behind it. And I, I pick it up and I look at it and it says, it says Dave. So uh, I open it up and it's a Mars bar. Now, not, I don't really like Mars bars, not that happy about this present, but I thank my little sister who it's apparently from and I say thanks very much and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to be as grateful as possible because I want the day to be as happy as possible. The next thing, my mum is screaming at me. She's shouting and shouting. She's saying I'm greedy. She's saying I'm spoilt. She's saying that I always do this. I'm just, there's something just nasty about me. And then she says, and I'm afraid this is the case it's cliche but it's what she said she told me that I had ruined Christmas and then she stormed out of the room crying ran up the stairs and I can hear her her feet running up those stairs and I'm crying and I don't really know what I've done and I look down at this wrapper in my hand and it says dad and my name is Dave and it says dad so I made a mistake that ruined Christmas and then my stepdad took me by the arm and he pushed me back into the Christmas tree. He said, you've upset your mother. And, and then he hit me. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Dave. My name's Hello, <laughs> Hello Dave. My name's Zoe Prosser and Dave and I have known each other since we were 18 years old when we went to university together. That's right. He has asked me to take this session of getting better acquainted. So. Session's about right, I think. <laughs> it's my Coke can I'm opening. So at this point, I feel very flattered <laughs> and a little nervous. Dave, firstly, I should ask, how did you meet me? We were both studying theatre studies. You sat next to me in a piece of theatre that we watched on the first kind of night of the course the first time we met the other people who were doing theatre studies mm. it feels like anyway maybe that's wrong we were made to go to this particular one because yeah. it was with ex-Lancaster University students and that's we were told right. that's what we might become if we worked hard enough 
That's right. And he sat next to me and we got talking about theatre and I liked you instantaneously, I have to say. Although I was a little bit, I guess I was probably a little bit intimidated. But Well, I do get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we met, really. OK. And Dave, what do you do now? I'm a writer, podcaster, performer and other creative type things and by day I work for the council with children. But you do creative musical things with yeah. your under five year olds yeah. as well. I so work working yeah. I have a good job. I have a good life pretty much at the moment. Yeah. Well, then let's delve into the depths of your past yes. into when you had a less good time. Because today you've asked me to ask you questions about your life from the age of eight. Yeah, the age of eight. So as far as I'm aware, you went from Wales, hmm. where you spent most of your very early childhood, is that correct? Mm -hmm. I was born in Kings Lynn. I lived there till I was three, so I don't remember very much about that. I remember a few things there. And then I went to North Wales, where I had a kind of really idyllic time in the countryside. Mm -hmm. All of my memories of North Wales are happy ones. That can't be the case. It can't <laughs> have all been happy, but that's how it is in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then when I was eight, I moved to the city of Coventry, which it seems I've been told, uh, you can hear back in other episodes, me being told that I'm being unfair on Coventry. I've judged <laughs> Coventry based on my own experiences there rather than on the actual city. Coventry does seem to be a, a, a town that divides people. There's quite a few people who have slagged off Coventry in this show as well. Coventry's become more of a theme than I was expecting to get in better acquainted. And so... Here we are, yes. trying to explain that. You're here to talk about your experiences from there. Y your parents split up at what point? Okay, right. Well, my parents split up before I was born. Right, okay. I was conceived on a drunken New Year's Eve after they'd split up. Right. The year, I guess, that they'd split up. Mm -hmm. And so my dad lived with us still, though, in Kings Lynn and then on into Wales he also lived with us he we had a partition down the middle of the house and we went to his half of the house for weekends in both houses so in yeah, Kings we had, Lynn and in well, North Wales no in, uh, in well I don't remember much about Kings Lynn mm -hmm. I know that there was a part of the house he had but it wasn't as direct a thing as having okay. a partition and going to his house for weekends I had two families in the same house yeah in Wales and my mum met my stepdad when she was in Kings Lynn in Norfolk and he moved with us to Wales. So there was two dads, I guess, in that mm -hmm. house. And then when we moved to Coventry, they'd had my sister. They had mm -hmm. my little sister in Wales. And so I guess the adults made the decision that it was probably the time to, to live in two separate houses. So my right. dad had a flat in a kind of more rough area of Coventry and we lived in a semi-rough area mm -hmm. like between the good areas and the bad areas I guess. Mm -hmm. So right <laughs> were, were you aware of how weird it was that your dad was living up until that point was living with you all? No no not at all I was under eight so that was reality yeah. to me. No I, I never thought of it as weird I didn't realise it was weird, I guess, till after we were in Coventry. I moved away from there when I was 13 and my dad mm -hmm. moved back in with us right. because my mum and my stepdad had split up. And at that point, I realised it was weird to have a 
father and mother living in the same house that weren't together. The partition thing just seems really normal to me. Like yeah. that just seems like well, kudos to your dad, to be honest, because I think that's a really well, mum and dad both. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, say you can say what you like about my parents, but they always practically they always put the children first. They always considered the children a priority in their living arrangements. Yeah, absolutely. So why did they move to Coventry? Well, that's a, that was a thing. I mean, so, okay, so, because this is weird, because this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this conversation, because I find it really, it's really, really weird, because you, you know me and I, I pretty much an open book, yeah? Mm-hmm. You think? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes you are, but you're spending an awfully long time skirting around things in this conversation. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So when I recorded the Coventry special, and I will get on to answer your question, but <laughs> when I recorded the Coventry special, I did this kind of piece on Mike at the beginning, and I was editing it, li- listening back to it, and I heard myself doing this. Mm-hmm. I heard myself saying, I had a hard time in Coventry, and then talking about things that were completely unconnected to that yeah. horrible time. Uh, and avoiding it just like I am doing now so and it, it really is weird because I I feel like I'm open I feel like I tell people things and I will I'll tell people the cliff notes of I'll tell people the cliff notes of Coventry I'll mm-hmm. tell them the the big dramatic things mm-hmm. but to, going into the details it's really hard <laughs> so we moved to Coventry because I mean and I don't really understand much of this so a lot of this is probably through adults yeah so my stepdad, when we were in Wales, he was working in a factory uh, and he's a working class Northern Irish guy mm-hmm. who my mum met in a pub in Norfolk. It was the local pub and he was the guy that was always in the bar and they developed a, a kind of romance. And mm-hmm. uh, he, when he moved with us, he was working in the Del Monte factory because he had, we always had loads and loads of orange juice and it was blank cartons, but he had a moped and he drove from where we lived in a little village in the countryside to Bangor University to study to be a teacher. Okay. My mum, I think she was working as a social worker at the time uh, in Wales, no, in Chester. She worked in Chester. Mm-hmm. And I think she was working as a social worker in Chester, which is in England, but it's commutable from where we lived. And my stepdad learned to be a teacher and he trained to be a teacher. And so he finished his degree and he was employable as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And it was very important to him to make money and to support the family. Yeah. And what happened was there weren't any jobs for teachers in that part of North yeah. Wales. And he applied to every job that he could and he got one in Coventry. Yeah. So everybody left this house that we all loved in this countryside that we all loved. Like, like it was sweet there. Like, it was a tiny little village school, and my dad would walk me home from school down this wonderful little kind of magical path down the the hill from Carowis, which was the smallest town in the world at the time, to this little village. And it was a a really idyllic experience in North in North Wales. And then kind of we were all ripped away from that mm-hmm. not just like it for me I'm, it was a shock but it must have been similar for the adults you know mm. you don't think about the adults when you're a kid but it mm. it must have been so the first job that that my stepdad got was 
in Coventry. It was a, in a place, I believe, called Woodlands. And that was a hardcore rough area. It was mm. a boys' school and it was tough. Like mm. the kids would sp- smash chairs and attack teachers with the chairs. Yeah. And so he moved into this job. That he, it was the first job he had as a teacher, but it was not one he... It's not one he was enjoying. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a young boy. So I guess when we went to Coventry, it was I was eight. But by the end of Coventry, I was 13. Mm-hmm. So I will have been the age of the kids he was teaching. Yeah. I don't think that can have been easy for him. Mm-hmm. So that's why we moved yeah. to, to Coventry anyway. that's That was the question, wasn't it? Yes, that was the question. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Right. You you moved to Coventry. How old was your sister when you moved? She's six years younger than me, so I was. if I was eight, she will have been at, what's that, two? Two, right, yeah. okay. So she isn't anywhere near school age at that point. No, no, she wasn't. Uh, not initially. God, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, she went to a childminder. Yeah. Uh, and I went to that childminder for a bit mm-hmm. too, and then I start, my dad started looking after me, I think, in the afternoons for school I'm a bit hazy about that but yeah there okay. was a definitely a, there was a childminder that we both went to for a while and my mum worked in Birmingham right okay so she was commuting from Coventry to Birmingham yeah because that was the only job she could get and she was working in it for a charity right okay full-time long hours quite stressful job I think so from conversations I've had with you in the past yeah it seems to me that the the big points of pain were your well the biggest point of pain was your relationship with your stepdad and i kind of feel like we should just rip that plaster off Mm -hmm. and let's talk about that i'm not looking forward to it it's the thing that i was least looking forward to about this conversation but you know let's go for it well i'm not i'm not even sure it's the biggest source of pain but we will see let's see joy so okay the relationship with my stepdad was i remember him bouncing me up and down on his knee and and like traveling around on his shoulders in 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 north wales it was you know he was he wasn't my dad Mm -hmm. i didn't think he was my dad but he was a kind man i thought and i still think that there is kindness inside him certainly but when we went to coventry everything changed he like on the first night it was like on the first night when we went to coventry my mum and my dad had a big argument like me and my dad had traveled down on the moving van for some bizarre reason <laughs> and uh he was going to stay the night with us in our new house but yeah. my mum and him fell out and sent him away mm-hmm. uh well no i don't know if he sent he didn't know he walked out and he didn't want to he didn't want to stay yeah. and i was in tears i ran down the street trying to get my dad to stay and my dad was like no i've got to do this and i, I can totally understand why yeah. he had to make that line in the sand mm-hmm. now i don't live with you i don't I don't get told off by you. Yeah. And so and my stepdad held me on the on the on the settee, you know, and he was he he hugged me for ages and he was very very comforting. So he, even at that stage uh even at that stage he was kind and there was a a niceness there and I I just don't know what changed. I think my sister got older and I I want to praise this by saying, you know, my sister was very young and I love her to death. She is I'm so close to my sister now. And I'm 
only going to talk about her in reference to where it's relevant to my story. Mm-hmm. But she got older, and as she got older, there's six years between us, mm-hmm. and he expected me to play with her all the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to play with her all the time because I was six years old and we had nothing really in common. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to manipulate that adult uh in that situation so she was able to go and say to him Dave's not playing with me and he would come and insist that I play with her and I think this is so much to do with his childhood like he's got a sister and there were boys and girls in that family and the boys were beaten Mm -hmm. and I think they were beaten at school as well but they were beaten at home and the girl wasn't Mm -hmm. it's that weird kind Mm -hmm. of uh, cultural thing where the girls can do no wrong but the boys are bad you know Mm -hmm. And so, so a few times, I mean, I, I only really remember four times he hit me, mm-hmm. but it was so out of what I'm used to because I had had a safe life until then. It was a massive shock. So, I mean, there's the, the one that I've told as a story on stage mm-hmm. and I've had in the podcast before, but there was the whole one where I ruined Christmas and he pushed me back into the, into the spines of the Christmas tree after I'd made this mistake about these presents and my mum ran out and crying and she said I ruined Christmas and he said you've made your mum unhappy mm-hmm. and he hit me uh, with the and you know the the prickles of the the tree in my back I can still feel from this experience mm-hmm. but there were other times there were times when he he hit me and told me to play my sister or whatever and there mm-hmm. was I think there was one time where I stood up to him and like went to hit him back. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I've created that from fantasies that I repeatedly had mm-hmm. about standing up and hitting him back. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if he hit me more than those four times and I can't remember them. Or if he hit me just those four times. I mean, I wrote about this in a play later on and I gave it to all the family and he read it and he apologised to me. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, you understand that during that time... I was under a lot of pressure and I yes and you know he he apologized and I Mm. think that is a very I think that's a brave thing to do I think that's a hard thing that it must have been for him to do Mm -hmm. it was a pretty hard thing for me to give him that thing Mm. I don't know why I did that to him it's pretty brutal I guess I wanted that apology yeah exactly so he was he was he, he hit me a few times and my sister manipulated that and there was sort of like I mean it was very much like there was a there's a time I really remember I mean he didn't hit me in this moment but I, re- I remember this as an example of the kind of thing that might have happened so my sister had do you, you know those you know those slate picture type things where you scratched it off like you mm. scratched the silver out and you made a picture with like a quill pen thing yeah so you have basically almost like a black wax covering on something yeah. and then you scrape off the black wax covering yeah I know what you mean that, she had one of them Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was stabbing the table, the wooden table, mm-hmm. with this quilt mm-hmm. thing. And I said, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. You'll hurt yourself and mm-hmm. you're damaging the table. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting at the other end of the table reading the paper. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did every night, actually. Every night he read the paper and he drank Guinness. And that's what he did. And he mm-hmm. didn't really do anything around the house. Mm-hmm. And that was very much the paradigm. He sits and he reads the paper. My mum does the housework. She also commutes to another city mm-hmm. and does all the work. So she was doing all the housework, all the work. And he was doing, you know, fuck all, really. Mm-hmm. 
but having a hard time in his work, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he had an easy life, but I don't think he had it quite as hard as my mum did. But anyway, he pulled down a paper, looked over the top of it, and he said, uh, leave your sister alone. Mm-hmm. Pulled it back up again. And the next thing, my sister stabbed herself in the head with the quill. And there was blood everywhere. And my mum came in and she shouted at my stepdad about it. And uh, I remember feeling, you know, it's not a very nice thing, is it? But I remember feeling really vindicated. Mm-hmm. Because what exactly what I'd said was mm-hmm. going to happen, happened. But the thing is, like, that was... That was the way it always was. I was supposed to play with my sister, but I wasn't supposed to tell her off. I wasn't supposed to be like a... I mean, it was a weird it was a weird thing that I just don't have any references for why that was like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not how I knew other families were. Like, I knew this wasn't how... I didn't, I didn't think mm-hmm. this was how it was supposed to be, being an older brother. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't think that that was kind of right. But So the big... I guess the big plaster is... The big thing that, because I okay, so I was hit a few times by my stepdad, mm-hmm. but but what is that really like? The the problem I have with dealing with all of this stuff is I don't know how valid it is to have had it to consider mm-hmm. this to have been a hard childhood, um, because I know people with much harder childhoods. Mm-hmm. But that isn't the though that that isn't the bit that was the hard childhood. But mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm praising again trying to explain why Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I had it harder than other people and I'm not saying that it's justified for me to have had a problem with any of this but I mean basically between the ages of 8 and 13 when we were living in that house was when my mum and my stepdad split up Mm -hmm. and so the, the house had really thin walls and their room was in between my room and my sister's room so both me and my little sister heard the nightly arguments between them, yeah. which were screaming matches. I mean, he doesn't scream much, but after, you know, half an hour, an hour of my mum screaming, he would shout back. Mm. And my mum, she's good at shouting. And was, so, this a, was this a house with thin walls in general? Because did you have neighbours calling police? It was semi-detached, so one side wouldn't have heard it. Right. No, they never called the police. But on one side, there was an old lady with an autistic son, right. like an adult autistic son. And on the other side, there was a family where the father killed himself. Right, OK. So it was not the kind of neighbours that would have place. run. No, it wasn't. Most of the time, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I remember we went round to that house after the guy had killed himself and like sat in the... I didn't know how to deal with that. I don't know no. why they took... I don't know why, why I was taken around there mm-hmm. as a child. So, no, the police weren't called. There wasn't much violence involved in those arguments. My mum would hit my stepdad quite often. One time my stepdad hit her back, but I'm not judging him for doing that. After you're hit five times or whatever in a row, I can completely understand mm-hmm. why you would hit somebody back. Well, the thing was, though, that this was there were nightly arguments and we could he- I could hear, anyway, I don't know what my sister's experience was in terms of what she heard, but I could hear the entirety of these adult conversations, mm-hmm. like what they were about. So I actually heard my mum and my stepdad like arguing out a pact where she was going to stop nagging him for the next year and then heard the attempts of her trying to stop nagging him and then the final break of her saying, you know, fuck you, why should I have to 
stop nagging you, you don't do anything around the house and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like all of this stuff, I heard like the words, mm-hmm. like, I heard the, the conversations that they were having. And um, my sister obviously heard this in a very different mm-hmm. way because she was really young. So I would often go to my sister's room and she'd be crying and I'd like hold her as they were arguing. But then it was a really kind of schizophrenic, that's probably the wrong word, but a very disjointed relationship that me and my sister had Mm. at that time where I was holding her crying in the nights, but in the daytime she was manipulating her dad into getting her way Mm -hmm. against me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I don't know, like it was very strange. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I felt about my sister at that moment Mm -hmm. in time. I mean, she was a child, it wasn't her fault, Mm -hmm. but but it was a very strange, like, but always I loved her enough that I didn't want her to cry and I wanted to make her feel happy mm. um so i mean i don't know during this time i i don't know what happened to me i was in a very strange like i had migraines all the time like i've never had migraines since but like i had crippling migraines mm-hmm. i had what i thought of and called and what my mum called and everybody agreed was insomnia right but now I look back in it and I realise it wasn't insomnia. They were arguing <laughs> in the next room and I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, like you know, really dramatically, like, kneeling on the floor and, like, pounding the floor with my hands in my room, banging it and banging it and banging it and shouting, I just want to sleep, I just want to sleep, I just want to sleep. And my mum coming in and shouting at me for being noisy. But... Like, the reason I wanted to sleep was because they were arguing, you know? Mm. And I I just wanted to sleep. And I kind of had this weird experience. Like, I was scared of everything in that house. Like, it's around about that time when I got really phobic of mirrors. And I I started thinking that the mirrors were coming, like, the, the picture of me in the mirror would come alive and be doing different things to what I was doing. And this is because I saw a program and stuff. No, absolutely. I get you. I've had that before. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I don't know how much of this is related, but there was this picture on the wall as well that was on the. When you went out of my my room, you went past my mum and my stepdad's room, past my sister's room, and then the end of the then there was the toilet at the end, right by the stairs, and there was a there was a picture of an ancestor, my mum's ancestor on the uh, on the posh side of the family, like a kind of Napoleonic kind of ancestor on the wall of my bedroom that kind of looked straight at the bathroom door. And I was absolutely petrified. I think it's because I saw Ghostbusters too. Mm-hmm. But I was absolutely petrified that that picture was going to come alive and mm-hmm. judge me and do something scary to me. So I would run, you know, I would run to the bathroom, like absolutely afraid. Like I wouldn't, if I, sometimes I didn't, like I was really scared. I wouldn't even go to the bathroom. I would just go to the toilet in a bottle in my room. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely scared to leave my room. And maybe, you know, maybe that's normal. I don't know. Like, it seems like it is when I'm saying it's to you now, from your reaction. Well, I don't know whether it's the, the, you know, just that we're both weird together, but there's a certain degree of similarity there. But I would also say that, that unhappy houses, unhappy families make for unhappy houses, which is a bit hippie, but that is what I think. You know, you can feel an unhappiness in a house sometimes. And I think you might have just been in an unhappy house. Well, that's right. There was a really unhappy feeling in that house. Like, my brother's six years older than me. So he was there for some of this stuff. I mean, what when I was there, he would have been 14. But he was he lived in the room furthest away from their mm-hmm. room. And then he went to university. Mm-hmm. 
by the end of this he was in university so he was out of it mostly I mean there was a thin wall between mine and his room as well but that's a different kettle of fish I mean I blamed like that that's why I remember that's what I heard on the when I was in that Coventry special when I mean I cut it out mm -hmm. so it's not there now but what I did was I started talking about how hard it was in Coventry and then I started talking about how I was it was my fault how I was always a mediator and how I was a catalyst for drama mm -hmm. and how I made these things happen and that didn't happen in Coventry I was not a mediator in Coventry I was not trying well, to make everyone get old, old in Coventry. yeah uh, that's what I did in that's what I did in Cardiff like when we moved to Cardiff when I was 13 yeah I was a mediator I tried to get my mum and other members of the family to be friends to get on mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time like like Cardiff was traumatic in its own way like after my mum and my stepdad split up then my mum had a pretty much a nervous breakdown and she was drinking heavily and she was spending a lot of nights telling me that she never wanted me and that it was all my fault and that men like me will always let her down and always let and always do and just do everything that's bad in the world and that she wishes she never had me and all that stuff bollocks I know no I know it's bollocks and I know it's not personal it's not what she means to do it's not what she it's not even what she feels I don't think it's how is how she was feeling in that moment it's mm -hmm. like she just wants to hurt people because she doesn't feel worthy I understand because that's how I feel when I get really upset mm -hmm. like I don't do it as bad as her because I've seen the Okay, so that's what happened in Cardiff, but what was going on in Coventry? Well, in Coventry, I wasn't trying to make everyone get on. Like, I was, yeah, I was looking after my sister, but I wasn't a catalyst for any of that, you know? And it was so interesting to me hearing myself now talking about it and saying, like, the stuff that I've learnt that I know about myself as an adult or as a teenager that, that about like applying that to when it wasn't my fault like it definitely wasn't my fault I didn't make those two people split up but I but I do on some level now and definitely then think it's my fault like I def I know it's ridiculous I know it's ridiculous and it's something that I'm working on you know Good. So yes, I think that definitely, sorry, we could just hear Jen talking outside the door. I think that yes, you're entirely right that, that it's something that you should work on because I think it is rubbish and we all know and are aware of bits of ourselves that, that tell ourselves crap and you've, that, you've identified a bit that's telling you rubbish. Well, yeah, and I would do everything I could to stay out of that house. Mm -hmm. Like I would when I I loved going to my dad's at weekends, and that's when I talk about Cardiff. It seems like every time I hear myself talking about Cardiff, I focus on how good my dad's house was. In Car you mean Coventry? Oh God, yeah, it's so confusing. All these places I bloody lived. Yeah, <laughs> no, in Coventry. When I talk about Coventry, what I talk about is, yeah, my dad's house and how good it is. And I say, yeah, I had a horrible time at my mum's house. Moving on to my dad's house and how brilliant that was and how mm. that flat was a great place to escape to. But I never really focus on this. It, this weird, like, place where this whole family pretty much damaged themselves, I want to say. But, I mean, I didn't damage myself. I was damaged. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me that did that. But it, mm. I kind of always want to say it was me as well. I always kind of want to... It's... Uh, where the grown-ups imploded and, took a, and there was a lot of collateral damage. Yeah, for sure. And um, that's what it sounds like anyway. Okay, so what would meal times like in a house like that man i don't even remember like so much of that house i think i blocked out you know 
I mean, my stepdad was always reading the paper, drinking Guinness. My mum was late home quite often. I mean, I, I, there was a whole year when I pretty much, or maybe two years, I spent every night on a school night at my friend Steve's house. Like, I, I ate with them. Cool. I, I just didn't want to be in that house. But, you know, I mean, this is a, I don't know, you won't be surprised that I'm talking about this sort of thing, but it's a... Like, so when I was 11, right, that's when I invented masturbation, right? That's that's what I talk about in my in my in, in episode one of this I, show. I particularly like that story. It was brilliant. Like, it was a great time uh, inventing that, that, that. I can imagine. But, I mean, when I, when I invented it, <laughs> I was next door to these people imploding. And so I've come to realise that you know, so I did it all the time because it made me feel happy when I didn't feel happy. I mean, I know that teenage boys masturbate all the time. That is standard. Teenage girls tend to too. Well, well yeah, abs- absolutely. I th- well, I think it's, I think it depends on the girl. But you're right. You're right. And more and more girls admit it now, and more and more girls do it now as well, because uh, there's less shame about it, which by is great. Bye. But I know it's normal to masturbate all the time. But the thing is that it was, in retrospect, a bit fucked up. Well, it was. It has linked forever in my mind sexuality with escaping from unhappiness. So anytime I feel unhappy, I get horny, right? So oh, Jesus Christ. Like if I'm ill, if I'm ill, right, if I'm ill, I wanna have sex. If I'm tired, I wanna have sex. If I'm stressed out, I wanna have sex. Like any time that I am unhappy and, and it is I mean I don't know how normal this is or not normal, but it I do think it's linked from there. Like the way yeah. to solve being sad or being stressed or being worried was to, to masturbate. Very efficient when you're a teenager. It's not so efficient when you're an adult and you want like the, you, you want to involve just, other people in you that. You could just masturbate. Well, I do sometimes. I think that's probably the way to go, I mean, especially when you're ill. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, when I've got a fever, like if I have a fever, I want to have sex. That is definitely un- unnatural or not normal. St- yeah, like, well, it's not fever doesn't experience. make people want to. Have, no, no, it is. That's fascinating, and I did not know that about yeah, you. So well, far, I didn't. we've now reached a, a point where I have found something else that is something I did not know about you. Crikey! It's something I only recently realised. I would say though that there is nothing wrong with that, so long as you don't get the urge to um, to the uncontrollable urge to do it in public. <laughs> um. After a bad, a bad performance review, I, I could see that going horribly I, I, wrong. I have never, I, well, I've never masturbated in public. Let's say, yeah, that's definitely true. However, I would, I would say, I would also say that, yeah, okay, whatever helps. I, you know, so long as it's not damaging other people, whatever helps. Well, I did. There were lots of ways I escaped at that moment. Like me and my friend Steve invented a fantasy world. Good. You know, that's what we spent all our time doing, mm-hmm. and you know, that was great. And I'm really glad that that happened, uh, and it obviously it's influenced me profoundly. Like that's mm. why I'm probably a writer, or one of the reasons, or that's a symptom of me being a writer, or mm-hmm. whatever. But it was I don't know. Like when I look back at Coventry, there are all of these different strands, and they don't really fit together. Like there was the time with my friends, and there was the time at my dad's house, and then there's like this black hole. 
that doesn't really like I think I repress a lot of that memory like a lot of the memories have only just recently sort of come back to me like the fact that the migraines were re must have been related to stress you know why is that the only time that that's happened to me in my life like maybe it was growing up maybe it was it might be I maybe it was growing it's, pains it's, I don't it's know. fascinating because I I hated living in Bedford which I lived in for two years whilst my parents were going through a difficult time although they're still together and uh, I got severe earaches, which I've never had since, but I was getting severe earaches and I was miserable in Bedford. And so hearing you talking about how your feelings towards Coventry, I have exactly the same towards Bedford. Yeah. Do not like that place. Do not ever want to go back. Yeah. Um, so I, I have some sympathy. I, I do think that probably the migraines had something to do with it, but I think also possibly Possibly it was an age thing because I was about the same age when I lived in Bedford. Yeah, maybe it was an age thing. Yeah. I mean, insomnia, though, that definitely yeah, wasn't well, insomnia. That wasn't insomnia. And I don't know why I called it insomnia for years and years. And I, I always said I was an insomniac for years and years and years. And you know what? I've never had trouble sleeping apart from then. So I don't even know why I'm always saying I'm an insomniac. It's, just, it's, pretty, it's pretty nuts. Like, like, them imploding in that house i mean i think my mum probably had a nervous breakdown there as well i mean the one thing we my mum wouldn't talk about like it was off the cards to talk about with me on this show was coventry and i understand why she doesn't want to talk about it and i don't know anything about the exactness of that i don't know what the experience was mm -hmm. like for her and i couldn't talk to her then and i i, I don't know maybe i should talk to her off mic about it but it it doesn't seem to me to be that it's going to be a very beneficial conversation off mic in a way because with a microphone on you kind of you have to be more civil you can't get you know that it stops the really high emotional drama yeah but but, but I mean you know she's a troubled person anyway like she was troubled before she went to Coventry, but Coventry definitely, like, fucked her up more. Yeah. And she would, I think, ag agree with this. And it, she hates, I mean, I think she hates the city for the mm. same reason. Mm. But, I mean, she's the hardest, like, band-aid. Like, it's, you know, him hit, hit me, you know, that, that that's fine, you know? Like, he... He was like a weird thing to me. Like he wasn't related to me, and I, I, I didn't understand why he was doing these things. But and I, and I liked who he was before. I loved who I, I think I, you know, probably would even say I love him still. But he wasn't like, like your mum telling you that you've ruined Christmas. Your mum hitting you because she occasionally did hit me. Your mum saying really hard things to you, and I was really searching for like love and attention and mm. I really remember it really truly strongly and I think like there was a weird there was definitely a weird time as well where when I was kind of getting my like connected to sexuality and using that as a a way of escaping from it when I, I was kind of just starting to go through puberty that everything did get very weirdly tangled and I was sort of like semi flashing I guess to try but it was like within the family, not, yeah. in, the, not in the community. But it, to like, I don't know, be acknowledged as somebody that's existing. Mm. And I, I, you know, and I, I, you know, I feel tremendously guilty about that. But it, you know, I, how do you, 
like how do you get somebody I don't know how do you get someone to tell you that they love you I guess is is the thing like how do you know that some somebody when they're going through their own shit and they're completely dis like I think like my mum is has been a great mother to me in lots of ways she's been there for me financially um and she supported me in lots of practical ways and you know if she's the person like when I in Coventry when I smashed headfirst through the glass window in the front porch she made me sweet tea and relaxed me and she's so good in a crisis like she was a nurse and she mm. knows what to do and she's always really calm and 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 you know in Coventry no in, oh, so confusing in Cardiff uh when I had she let my my girlfriend move in with us for like the last like couple of years of living there and she like she she's always like recently she gave some money to a friend of my sister's who needed the money like she's kind there's kindness in her she she looks out for people like she, I think she was a good social worker I think she's a good person but you know and she doesn't say nice things when she's angry and she doesn't really know how to hug you you know yes like when she hugs you, it feels like, and I'm not very good at hugging. Do you do you find that I'm not good at hugging? Like sometimes I am. Maybe I am with you because I'm I very think, close to you. I think that some boys are less good. I mean, it's interesting. I because I do LARP, and so people are quite tactile in LARP. So there's a lot of hugging. It's quite funny to watch how people do it. Sometimes two boys, especially, hugging. And you can see there's that wall that sort of goes up that makes the whole thing slightly awkward. And I think that, that occasionally there's that, that bit with you, but that's how some people hug. Well, like the other day, like my, my family were from... Because I've got a very disjointed family. My older sister from Germany, who's not been involved in this narrative so far, came over with her two children, my niece and my nephew. And he's 11, but they're brought up in... Germany in a very different kind of family than I was brought mm. up in and he wants to hold my hand all the time you know on the tube like Gosh, I know I know it's, it's 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 unusual and it's fine for a bit but I just like he kept wanting to hold my hand and you know I I really felt you know just too much like it was just getting too much and I just felt I don't know all of these emotions to do with my mum and all sorts of I mean it was it was all right you know and he you know I said to him you know I don't, can I not just not hold your hand for a bit? I just feel like it's too much. And he said, why? And I said, you know, and I don't know if this was a good thing to do or a bad thing to do. I'm, I'm quite raw on this subject at the moment and I'm trying to be honest with people, but I don't know if an 11 year old boy is necessarily the person to be honest with, but I wanted him to understand that it wasn't anything. And I said, you know, my mum is very strange emotionally. She doesn't really hug and she doesn't hold my hand and she didn't do that when I was growing up. But my dad is very affectionate. So sometimes I can be really affectionate, but other times I'm a bit funny with it. And this is just mm. one of those moments when I'm feeling funny with it. But, you know, it's a good thing to be affectionate and, I, and I'm and i not judging mm. you in any way. And I think he understood, but I mean, it's... it's <laughs> oh, that sounds to me like you dealt with that really well. And I, I don't think you have anything to worry about if you are slightly awkward with things like hugging and stuff. Because boys and or girls are, and that's fine. You yeah, know, I, I know that's that. allowed. 
it's absolutely but I wish I wasn't like I look at people who aren't and I envy them you know and I I, want to be that able to be that relaxed with my body with myself like to feel like like I, I, I do feel disjointed in very strange ways and like I've I think also perhaps it's your worry about it that's I'm just remembering saying goodbye to some friends a, a while ago and a friend of mine who I'm quite fond of a bloke leant over to hug me and in doing so he was leaning over in doing so he managed to step on my foot and I almost headbutted him on the chin <laughs> it it happens and it happens oh I've lost my earphones it happens just because sometimes it's awkward yeah and I'm quite a tactile person. I like hugging. You know, I get it wrong. I headbutt people on the chin. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know how to do it in a relaxed way, though. And, I mean, I've come to sort of think that, like, what I, when I think of my mother, I think of her as she's very emotional. She's She gets very angry. She can cry quite easily. She can... And she... No, when she's in the right mood, she can smile and she can be affectionate in a way. But she's emotionally unavailable. Like, yeah. she is not present with me. She's, she's very, like, distant. And, like, like, we had a conversation that hasn't come out yet, probably will come out after this, about our relationship. And it was a really good conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. And it it made me like have these realizations about her and my relationship with her and then you know earlier this year you know we were having some friction about whether she was coming when she mm -hmm. was coming to stay and stuff and i said to her i was very i was a bit off with her on the phone like saying you know i i i, I need you to tell me when you're coming and i want some details from you and she said she doesn't think that I tell her how I feel. She doesn't think I'm being honest with her emotionally. She doesn't think I tell her how I feel about our relationship. And I always try to be honest with her. Like I'm, 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 I always try and be honest with her and tell mm -hmm. her how I feel. And you know, all of my siblings would agree that I am honest with my mother mm -hmm. and Jen would agree. Like there's a lot of things that, people might argue about but that they will all agree that I am honest with her I'm straight with her I always tell her that I love her but I have problems with her I always mm -hmm. say that I'm always very clear and she said you know you don't tell me how you feel about me and I said I do tell you how I feel about you and I tell you what I've got proof that I tell you how I feel about you because I recorded it and 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 do you not remember that experience and she, and she couldn't like she couldn't remember it like she she has repressed so much of her memories and, and and i i don't think i've done it as much as her and I, I hope i haven't and i've really tried not to but but because she's keeping herself distant from her own emotions or whatever she can't she can't really connect like with me and i think when i was growing up you know i like i used to have this thing about the oedipal myth right like it used to piss me off like freud used to piss me off Right. And Hamlet used to piss me off. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of these things used to piss me off. I used to be like, this is too easy. It's not like that. I used to say like Hamlet, like he can he can fuck off. He's such a moaner. He can't make up his mind. He's always overthinking things. He causes everybody to die in that play. And it's all his fault. And I have no sympathy with him at all. Right. I would say this. About mm -hmm. him. And I come to realize it's because I was very similar. To him. <laughs> and it's the same with the, the Freudian like Oedipal thing. Like 
it's not saying that you fancy your mother forever or even that you fancy her at all it's it just is that you desire to be loved by your mother in a weird way i think like or your father or whatever mm. and and like i couldn't get that and i couldn't get that in any way like Whereas I, and I never wanted to, to kill my father's side of things, but I guess I had all of these stressful things with my stepdad. Mm. But then that doesn't seem... That side doesn't really... Buy, I, I don't buy I'm that part. I still fervently disbelieve in, a, in the Oedipus and Freud in that particular regard. I think no, but... That, but no. But no. he comes from... He come, his theory comes from somewhere. No, his theory... Cut out the boys and the girls thing. You want your parents to love you and you want proof of their love. Yeah, okay, good. And you have... Your dad's proof of your dad's love because your dad is very affectionate, but your mother wasn't. She, it could have been the other way around, and you'd have felt the same way, if, especially if you were living with your father as opposed to living with your mother. I think. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't think you should give Freud the, that particular win. No, I'm not uh, giving yeah. him a win. I mean, I don't like the guy was obviously had his own issues, and he. He, his sample of mad people well, was frankly kind of pitiful. Well, also tiny. Yeah. Absolutely barely any. You know, to to get it to make these massively sweeping declarations of, this is what everyone feels. What you've interviewed six people. You know, it's 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 small. I wow, don't know I've how many. I've interviewed more people than Freud. Yeah, you have, you have <laughs> definitely interviewed more people than Freud. I don't know that it's six. I'm sure someone listening to this would be able to tell you exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was one little boy and a few middle-aged women and one teenage girl, I think, maybe two. So basically, yeah, don't give Freud this win, but you wanted your proof of your mum's love and I can identify with that. So, and you probably pushed for it in all sorts of weird ways, including the kind of flashing thing. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, the, the I would imagine you probably did more irritating, bigger things as well to try and... That 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 caused more upset and friction in I your house. I think I might have done, but I don't really recall being the source of friction until, like, I caused friction in Cardiff much more than I caused it in. But Coventry. then maybe I mean that's. But maybe one I'm thing. misremembering it. Or maybe to be honest, you, so you also wanted them. Yeah, you you wanted you didn't want them to keep arguing, so you know it would make sense for you not to. But um, I mean, I remember telling my mum I hated her in uh, Coventry. Mm-hmm. But that's the only, and that sort of helped me to stop hating her. Or something, <laughs> saying it out loud, I think. You um, know, when you think that's the worst thing I can say, and then you say it, and the world doesn't end. end you kind of go, well, maybe I don't even think that. Maybe that's, and then you change your mind. Yeah. So, okay, I'm not sure we need to unless you want to go over all the ways in which you feel let down by your mother no, I in don't. that in that regard in coventry you know i think i think a good example is her saying you've ruined christmas when you made an honest mistake as a child and then running out and allowing your stepfather to 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 get physical with you. Well, I don't have very many other ones apart from that. It's just I seem to just have the real highlights, and then there's all of these other things. Like, I don't know. Like we did, we went away on holiday during that time. There were there were nice times during that time. Like, I remember being in the car and like the two albums that kind of I think 
started me being interested in music were Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits <laughs> and Carry On Up The Charts, The Best Of The Beautiful South. I have some sympathy with that. They were played like <laughs> on repeat as we drove round Ireland going to castles and as we drove round Cornwall and stuff. Like there were good times. Like the last time we went to Cornwall though, I remembered it as being really good, but then I vaguely talked about it to my mum recently and it turns out they were in a real bad time during that time. It's just because we were in Cornwall I could completely mm. distract myself from mm. that by all the good things, you know. Well, exactly, and maybe they were able, there were thicker walls. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a different part of the house. Yeah, that's right. but that's good. That means that you've got some respite. Do you think I'm? Look, do you think that this is just all like? Do you think when people hear this, they'll be like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Like, why is that guy moaning about his past? Like, I'm not saying I'm fucked up. I'm not saying that I've had as hard a time as other people. But I have come to understand, or have to, I have to face the fact that I, I'm more damaged by my childhood than I ever wanted to admit until about now like when I was at like when I was 18 I was like fuck that I'm getting out of this mm-hmm. shit I'm not even gonna think about it anymore I'm not gonna like, it's not gonna be a thing for me I'm not gonna be defined by that but, but am I justified in any of this like I know there's people who've had worse times like this is a, like maybe I'm just okay we've said this before you and I we've said that there are people who are as fucked up as we are or worse who've had demonstrably less happen in their lives than us true true you know someone could have seen their pet cat get run over and it have seriously screwed them up because no one knows quite how the brain chemistry works and no one knows quite when the pressure points are and what the pressure points are on someone to push them into something you could have a justifiable and fascinating interview with that person who was fucked up by seeing that cat get run over. And yet some people seem relatively balanced and have had terrible, terrible things happen to them in their lives. I don't think, I mean, I don't think that you have anything to be embarrassed about in the fact that you have been marked by your childhood. Everyone is. Mm. Everyone is. And everyone's marked for good and bad. Whatever happens. And whatever has happened to them. You're just investigating that. And being honest with yourself about it. That's fine. I mean I don't think I'm that badly marked by it. But I. I used to sort of feel ashamed of like even mentioning it. And like. Like making it. Like admitting to it. And now I admit to it quite freely. Although it does really seem I have a, a real hard time. Looking at looking at that time i mean i'm i've been going to a cognitive behavioral therapy thing on the nhs and uh i've been sticking that out because if you stick it out then Mm. you then they they get they put you forward for therapy on the nhs because obviously i can't afford therapy Mm. so i'm i want that on the nhs Mm -hmm. and i i'm not ever going to take any medication Mm -hmm. i do not think i'm at that point i don't think i don't yeah i don't think it's a thing for me Mm -hmm. like i think I think it might have been good for my mum to have taken some medication. I I think that my mum has very serious cycle that happens in her uh, life. It's not diagnosed, but it does seem like some experiences that I've known of people who are not very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that my mum might have been benefited from medication at some point in her life. Mm -hmm. It's a bit late now. Mm -hmm. Like she went to therapy, like she, they wouldn't give her therapy because she was coping. 
like she told me this relatively recently and I don't even maybe it was in that conversation that we had I, I don't know I haven't listened back to it yet so God knows what that experience mm-hmm. is going to be like but she went to, to the doctor and the doctor said no you're, like, you're holding down a job you're not completely distraught on the floor while you're talking to me therefore you are not in need of any help when there's other people I know who got given a questionnaire filled it in and then were heavily medicated for the rest of their life I mean it's, it seems very much of a luck of the draw and I, I'm hopefully going into this therapy thing eyes open mm-hmm. definitely don't think I need any medication think I could do with talking to someone completely mm-hmm. objective mm-hmm. like at the moment I'm talking to you you're not completely objective nope. and I'm doing it in front of a microphone yeah that means that there are going to be things inevitably that I'm not going to say in front, on a, on a, on a mm-hmm. microphone that if I'm in a room where no one's going to judge me and nobody's going to think less of me for whatever I say I would have to say anything and that's of value in itself you know yeah regardless of what that therapist is like and then I'm, I'm also quite fussy and I'm not going to I'm going to be if if I don't think they're any good I'm not going to stay with them yeah. I think that's important to remember but I don't know if I'm like am I just taking up a slot that could be used by somebody else you know yeah. like is this justified I asked the, the woman in cognitive behavioral therapist this and she said you're not in the same band or something mm-hmm. the people who have serious problems they would never be seen by the people who would see you so it's not like you're taking up somebody yeah. else's so I was very relieved about that so hopefully I'm I'm doing the right thing I think I mean, it's it's not just new agey and American and stuff to work on yourself and improve yourself. No. Right, good. No, it isn't everyone I know who I respect, does it? And it's okay to do it, like, to not do it yourself. Like, I had, for years I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to sort myself out and I don't need to tell anybody and just the more people I tell about it the easier it seems to be to sort myself out it's like if you keep it all to yourself like people think of me as a very honest person and I am very honest and I will tell anyone anything if they ask but you don't always disclose you know I don't know you okay I am not a confessor therefore I cannot say and plus you have no particular faith um I, you, therefore i cannot say you know you are absolved everything you've done is in this regard is fine but i don't think you're doing an uh, as zoe as a person as a friend i don't think anything you've you are striving for is unreasonable or selfish you know for a start if it's going to help anyone it'll help jen live with you yeah that's the person i'm doing it for the most i think yeah i mean jesus i would not want to live with me and i'm not i'm I, I'm nowhere near as bad as my mum. No, well, God, and that's the other thing. Okay, two things, absolutely and and thoroughly. The most important thing to say, you know this anyway, it was not your fault, you know it. Yeah. You have to start to try to live as if you know it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and the second thing is... You deserve, well, three things. You deserved to feel affection from your mother. The fact that you didn't is very sad and it, it might not actually be a reflection on her. It might be a reflection on her mental state. Yeah, I think so. But you like, deserved it. I know she loves it. me. I know yeah. she loves me. I don't want to... You deserved that, to that feel way. that as a child. Every child does. And the fact that you didn't will have affected you. It just will. Okay. The last thing I think is 
you really don't have it. Well, you, I'm sure you have hundreds of small things to feel guilty for, but you should not feel guilty for your emotions and for trying to work through them. That is ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I just don't... I, like, I don't want to be carrying on the cycle. Well, for a start, you're not having children. No, that's so that good. So won't, that won't... I mean, that shouldn't be the only reason to not have children, but that is, you know, you, you're not going to be carrying on the cycle for that very reason. But then, and apart from that, you aren't, you aren't your mother. Hmm. For a start, you've got a penis. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's a problem, though, in a way. I mean, my mother with a penis might have been even more damaging. That's an interesting question. Well, no, but you're I mean, not her. But and that's the thing, though. Like, one of the things that she told me a lot as I was growing up was, you know, men are a bad thing, you know. So it's a hard thing to be one when you've been told that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> in in and of yourself, you've just given a reason why you're not going to turn into your mother. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, she didn't grow up being told that 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 because she was a man, she was something bad. Yeah. So you you have problems. They're your own problems. They're not hers. And I I just want to say like. Um, if she listens to this, fine. You know what? What am I going to do? I'm going to advise her not to. Mm-hmm. But I do love my mother. You know, I do care about her. She recently had her 60th birthday, and I uh, made a playlist on Spotify of songs that I knew she'd like. You know, and I, you know, there are things that me and my mum as adults connect on. There are things that I've learnt from her. There are lots of things she's given me as a person and she has very great qualities as well as the kind of negative things that we've been talking about. Although it has been telling to me that a number of times friends have met my mother and afterwards have said to me, I understand why you are like you are. It's happened more than once. And the first time it happened, I felt really good about it. Because I was like, finally, somebody's seeing why I'm like I am. And the second time it happened, I kind of felt like, I don't want people to be seeing that anymore. I want to have got over that by now. (laughs) And for people to be completely surprised. Okay. Our parents are like sculptors. They get the raw clay and they mould it. Now, it doesn't stop being clay at any point, but it does get moulded. And you can't undo what they've done to you without literally chopping bits of yourself off. Don't do that. You just have to learn what's there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just hope that people have it, like, that this seem, like, that this seems justified to be moaning about or to be talking about. Because, I mean, I know it's not a very male thing to talk about your emotions and what messed you up and it's not a very British thing to do that either and it's and I you had you know. lots of other things that messed you up but just at different times oh yeah sure like school really fucked me up that's yeah. another whole kettle of fish that I've covered in other places absolutely <laughs> absolutely don't you know but you know like I think the reason I got bullied at school though was because I was like a walking massive yeah like a walking like uh, target like people could see that I was vulnerable because I was so disturbed by my home life at that time like we'd moved away from Coventry all of that had happened to me my mum was 
like really in a hard time in Cardiff and 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 really struggling to get her life back on track. She did get her life back on track, and fair play to her, she really achieved that. But during that time, she was hard for me, and mm-hmm. I was trying to mediate, and I was trying to make her feel better, and I was telling her that. She was a good person. I was saying all the sorts of things you're saying to me now, but I was, she was not being like me now. She wasn't mm. talking like this. She was screaming and shouting and saying abusive things to me. And, you know, that's why when I went into school, people knew that I was the person to prod because mm. I would explode because I was not exploding at home. Mm. I was keeping everything in at home. So whenever I went to school, like I was like a shaky kind of bomb cartoon bomb that if you prod it it's going to explode and yeah. people and then that's exactly what kids want yeah. like that's exactly what they want because they're not feeling happy but they know that that guy's not feeling happy and they know that he's the person to prod and then it just got totally out of proportion and mm. people can hear about that in uh, the Cardiff special I think mm. <laughs> right is there anything else you'd like to talk about from that time um I don't think so. It feels like, I mean, you know, it feels like we've covered the experience that messed me up or not, mm-hmm. that, that affected me in in Coventry, that I felt like for the sake of the listeners who are following this narrative from, you know, following the series from beginning to end, there'd been too many kind of teasers for this mm-hmm. without actually giving them the content. And as a person who writes things and stuff, I just felt like this was this was a necessary area to cover. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I thought, oh, I know, I'll, I'll tell everybody about this fun time because mm-hmm. um, I'm, you know, hopefully going to be doing that in therapy and I've been doing that with friends off mic. You know, mm-hmm. I have a life off mic. It feels mm-hmm. sometimes like I don't, but I do. But I just felt like it's only fair to the audience to uh, provide them with that. And uh, I hope that sounds like a sensible thing rather than a, what the hell is wrong with that guy that he feels like he has to tell us this stuff. But, you know, I hope he's answered some questions and I hope it's I hope it's been true and fair to everybody involved. It's so hard talking about families. Yeah. Like yep. what's what are you what's your right? And what you what 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 have I got? What part of this story have I got a right to? I hope I've stuck to that. And if I haven't, and you're a member of my family, and you feel upset, I'm sorry. Talk to me about it, and I'll cut it out maybe. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, Dave, do you have anything to plug? Well, yeah, I thought this was going to be a weird question. It, it's probably going to seem weird when I've been questioning whether I should be doing this, but I, I do... I think I would like to plug working on yourself. Like, like bright, there's a Bright Eyes song, which is talking about a relationship or love, uh, but it's just as, just as appropriate to... Into like to your relationship with yourself uh, that goes we'll keep working on this problem that we know will never solve of love's uneven remainder our lives are fractions of a whole and if the world could remain in a frame like a painting on a wall I think we'd see the beauty then we'd stay staring in awe at our still lives posed like a bowl of oranges like a story told by the fault lines and the soil and I think that I'm would like to promote working 
on problems that you know you'll never solve and appreciating what you have got and looking at it like it's a frame, like a picture in a frame. And talking to your parents, which is something I feel very passionately about. Talk to them while they're alive, even if they're hard people to talk to, and even if, even if uh, it doesn't always make you happy. Talk to them, because they're people, and you need to understand, to understand yourself, you need to understand them. So talk to them like they're people. When you become an adult, reveal the stuff that you never talked about because you were a kid and it wasn't appropriate do it when they're an adult challenge yourself challenge them work on the problems okay you've said the same thing I know I know I know man that's what I do that's my thing <laughs> and then I cut out the bad bits oh good well that'll be right then <laughs> in that case ladies and gentlemen and all those in between goodbye um, and I hope you enjoyed listening thanks thank you <laughs>find getting better acquainted on twitter at uva podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way and on the stitcher smart radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted